Welcome to What the Heck's Your Source for Warhammer Underworlds in under 30 super annoying distraction push equivalents. I'm your co-host, Davey, and with me, as always, I got Phil. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing all right. All right. Uh, we'll get into that. There's there's a little hesitancy there, and I think I know what it is. <laughs> so we'll come back around to that. But uh, we gotta we got to give a shout to our guest today. We got Cam. Uh, welcome, Cam. How are you? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Cam, we'll get to an introduction in uh, just a little bit, but before we do that, we'll uh, we'll talk our usual things. We got context. Um, we have, uh, most recently, we know that Hrothgorn's man trappers are on the way, uh, but uh, most significantly is the uh, new Forsaken and Restricted list dropped. Uh, and for those who didn't notice or didn't remember, that is Keep Them Guessing and Aggressive Defense have been uh, Forsaken. It is... Uh, and banned from championship and uh and restricted were temporary victory scrum tome of vitality rebound and transfixing stare uh and what was cool about this is that it also came out with an article uh by dave sanders kind of explaining some of the reasoning about it but uh, uh any initial thoughts on these phil um yeah i uh i guess one i i did really appreciate having sort of the explanation um that well well, I still wish that some of these cards were not uh, gone forever. Um, I do understand it, and it does make sense. And having that sort of level of transparency is something that you don't usually get in an FAQ or an errata. Um, so I do appreciate that. Um, in terms of uh, cards that I was surprised to see go, um, Keep Them Guessing was really the one that uh, hit me the hardest just because I've used it so many times. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't see it as being an especially strong card, but of course that's sort of where the description of, um, these forsaken cards were really ones that required a lot of explanation for how they interacted. And I think designing around them going forward is something they probably decided wasn't worthwhile. So they just said, we're going to move these off and, uh, and save ourselves a bunch of headaches down the road, which I think is perfectly reasonable. Um, the other thing that jumped out to me was that Tome of Vitality going out effectively means that if you want to play Tomes, you have to fill all your restricted slots with Tomes and the actual up, uh, objective itself. So maybe Tomes are dead. We'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, Cam, what are your thoughts? They didn't surprise me too much. Um, I liked that both Temp Victory and Scrum were got restricted. They seem to be up and coming cards and something that was really quickly defining most of the metas that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And it made a lot of sense in my mind. Um, like, I guess, uh, like Phil, I'm a little sad. Keep them guessing has gone. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, my thorns deck is completely destroyed right now, but <laughs> you know, everybody I'm has happy. to, <laughs> um, I'm happy. Um, transfixing stare was a interesting pick. I didn't see much play of it, but I mean, that's a, it could be something that just wasn't very local to our meta or maybe just the few people that weren't, wasn't playing against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, transfixing stare. What I like about that is that it was, it was the most brutal to range one aggro. Uh, and that oh, yeah. feels like it's one of the things that is in, mm-hmm. uh, the not as good a place. Um, rebound, whatever enough words have been spent on that. So past that, uh, Tome of vitality, uh, it's clear what they're, well, I mean, to me, it seems clear that they're, they're trying to target the, uh, the uh acolyte of the cataphranes build there's a little bit of collateral damage there with anybody who is uh trying to build for durability uh because it was essentially another great fortitude for a lot of people 
Uh, and it gives a little uh, little step up to anyone who's got an infaction uh, grade fortitude. Um, and then I guess, yeah, like you guys, uh, I enjoyed Keep Them Guessing. I put it in many decks, including some decks that I probably shouldn't have put it in. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, Aggressive Defense, while I liked it and I was using it in Ripa's, uh, really enjoyed it in that. Uh, I think it's I think it's a good one to go because every time I would try to explain the, the timing window to somebody who hadn't like studied uh, studied thoroughly the uh, ancient texts of the uh, of the FAQs and such, uh, it always felt like you're trying to pull one over on somebody, right? Like, well, actually, uh, yeah. first I get my uh, reaction attack, and then this thing happens, and then then you finally get to make your attack. And you know, by the way, there was no pushing during. You know, you're like, oh man, what is was you know it, it just felt <laughs> it felt bad to have to, to do that anyway so uh nothing nothing too shocking uh but some of it has a pretty big ripple effect on the decks that people are building and we'll get to that in just a second uh in the meantime uh we'll remind you at the end but if you want to get in touch with us it's at wthcast on twitter or uh ping any of the facebook you can come to our uh, the mortal realms facebook page we're, we're uh, using that a lot more posting there first and you can get in contact with us or anybody anybody as part of the network uh, uh speaking of the community let's uh, do some community shout outs uh a big one for me was chatting crits it is the uh, limited run limited edition mini series whatever term you want to use that uh the steel city underworlds uh team is is recording. It sounds like they're planning on six episodes. They had their first one. They had Amon uh, on, and it was uh, really excellent. Uh, great listen. They were real strong right out of the gate. Uh, uh, good sound quality, and, and then the subject matter was great too. Uh, and that, coupled with some really high-level output they're doing on their blog, I uh, really want to shout the Steel City folks out. Uh, you guys got anything else you want to shout out community-wise? Just the... Uh videos from miniature fight club yeah. wow uh, if anybody has not okay. seen those um the production quality is next level stuff so uh if you want to check out some some real dedication video production for these uh bat wraps that's first stop for sure um very impressive yeah it is difficult to oversell the level of production that went into like i i've heard somebody say that uh we, we were not the first ones to, to shout it out. I think uh, Path to Glory mentioned it on their last one. And uh, But hearing somebody say, hey, it was, it was really good. You should check it out. I was not prepared for uh, how impressive uh, the, the production level was. They I don't know how much time those guys spend on it, but oof. <laughs> well, whatever yeah. recognition they get for it, they've, they've earned because they, they're putting the hours in there. I'm super duper impressed. And the, I thought the, the decks and the quality of play were, were uh, high as well. Um, so it was, it was up and down the line, a really good video to check out. So, Oh, Hey, I got one more shout out, Amber. I know you're expecting a gets episode. Uh, it's on the way. We had some technical difficulties. It's coming. We promise we'll get it to you. Uh, and thanks for listening. Uh, so <laughs> this is a, this is a segment. What the heck is going on with you? And Cam as a first time guest, you are not only going to lead us off, but, uh, we have you, uh, give us a little background. How did you get into miniature gaming and then what was your jump over to underworlds and uh what has been your general jam and what has been your jam of late with warhammer underworlds sure so i got my start in under uh i guess all miniature gaming uh, my friend in i want to say high school actually a longtime friend he went to england for uh, a couple years uh and when he came back he brought over this really cool game 
that was just all the rage over there that no one over in the U.S. had ever heard of back in the time. Um, a little company called Games Workshop. And I was just absolutely enthralled um, with the f- futuristic sci-fi universe of Warhammer 40,000. Um, so I kind of got my start first seeing the minis, playing around with Dawn of War, and then I just kind of really jumped all into uh, 40K. And that kind of led me through meeting most of my friends. Um, and I kind of jumped into competitive play really from that. Um, this local store that I used to frequent over in New Jersey, um, they had a very active fantasy community before Sigmar came around. And I actually built up a uh, small escalation league there where I started off with vampire counts. Um, so I had a huge, massive vampire army. It was great. And then Sigmar came, <laughs> killed everything. And uh, I just stopped playing because it wasn't very popular and kind of shifted my focus into 40K. And then when uh, Night Hunt came out, um, I jumped all into them. And I said to myself, as soon as Warhammer Underworlds gets a Night Hunt warband, mm. I'm jumping in. And lo and behold, Night Vault came out, and I've been playing ever since. And, and true to form, I've not ever seen you play something that was not Night Hunt. It was either Banshees or, or Thorns. It, it may have happened, but I wasn't paying attention when it did. Oh, maybe, did you have Guardians? Do you have a little stand as Guardians at one point? I mean, they're technically <laughs> spirits and ghosts, too. So, <laughs> All right, let the record show. <laughs> uh, and so lately, it's uh, part of the reason we're having you on tonight is for our... Uh, for our coverage of Mourn Flight, and uh, you've been you've been running them quite a bit. Uh, in fact, I think if you you uh, started running them as soon as Dreadfane came out. I'm pretty sure I, uh, if I remember correct. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get Dreadfane uh, from Barnes and Noble when it was just released, and I started playing them, and, and I fell mm-hmm. in love with them immediately. Um, I sure I'm just, we go through the fighters in a little bit. Um, what really drew me to them was one, they kept all the same mechanics that mm-hmm. Thorns had, ignoring the lethals, walking through models. I mean, their whole inspire mechanic is very unique. Uh, the fact that they start on two dodge is fantastic. And then just all of their unique abilities. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I find that they are probably one of the best disruption war bands that I can make. All right. Um, I play Dark Eldar and Harlequins in 40K, and I like a lot of the tricksy stuff that I can do. And so this warband really fits my play style. Sure. Uh, we'll get more into that in just a sec. But first, Phil, what have you been up to? I have been crying over my eyes deck. Um, mm, crying <laughs> your eyes out, perhaps. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, the the most recent uh, FAR really did a number on my... Uh, my eyes deck i've been trying to figure out what i want to do for an upcoming local tournament as well as adepticon um i'd been playing around with some ideas with molog and some ideas with eyes and both of those decks ended up having like six or seven restricted cards plus having forsaken cards so um we've, we gotta we gotta start over from the ground up so all right. Maybe something with eyes. Maybe Reavers. We'll okay. we'll see what happens. The thing about starting from the ground up is that you have nowhere to go but up. So here you go. That is what they say. <laughs> we'll see if that's true. Well, for myself, uh, I have been continuing to mess around with Rippas and continue to find them intriguing and difficult to wrap your head around and uh, a lot of fun. Uh, but I also, for the first time, played as Thundrix. Somehow I'd never played as them. Um, 
kind of coinciding. I, I did uh, in Age of Sigmar pick up the uh, the new battle tome for them. I just like their background. Kind of use that as an excuse to uh, check them out. And um, uh, it was it felt good. <laughs> uh, a little little uh, callback to the glory days of using them uh, using the uh, uh, far striders. Like oh, all these ranged attack options. It's so great. So yeah. uh, that was a lot of fun and a little bit of curse breakers too. Tried out that. Uh, uh, German Grand Skirmish slash Clash winning deck um, has a, a ton of chip damage, um, and uh, that was pretty interesting too. So very different from some of the decks that I've played previously. Let's uh, let's stop talking about all that stuff. Let's talk about Mournflight. We're gonna give you a rundown. We'll give a quick fighter overview. Talk about some cards we think that are important. Uh, go over strengths, weaknesses, uh, some of the play styles we think are in there, and maybe a little bit of counterplay too. And then there. Uh, uh, how they how they slot into the meta and along the way uh, was real short notice, but we got some listener questions here. Appreciate those, and we'll, we'll hit them as we go. Um, fighter overview, and before we even get started here on the fighter overview, uh, we had a listener question. His number one question was, "How do I tell them apart?" <laughs> uh, Radic uh, wanted to know that as well. Who, unless I'm mistaken, I think is actually one of the uh, miniature flight club guys. So, uh, but. Uh, you got any tricks for telling these ladies apart there, fellas? Um, I, so when I was initially looking at the minis, I figured um, that by like looking at the direction that they're swooping out of their graves, that that's sort of the only indicator of what makes them different. But to me, like, even though I know they're all different, yeah it's hard to remember which motion goes with which fighter. So, yeah. uh, with difficulty, I feel <laughs> like every time I play someone who's using Mourn flight, I'm like, and which one is which again? <laughs> so here's my trick. I know lady Harrow is the upright one cause she's the boss. Yeah. I know she's the, the easy one. The widow is the one who's like basically going straight down cause she's starts. She's the one who starts on two wounds. So she's low to the ground. And then my trick was distinguishing the maiden from the anguish one, but I noticed that the anguish one is missing her jaw, which I figure hurts a lot, and that's where her anguish is coming from. So ah, that, okay, <laughs> that helps. You got any? You got you anything go. less goofy, Cam? Uh, yeah. So the if I'm using the actual models, which I don't always use the same models, um, the anguish one, her dagger is actually facing down, and it's more like a sigh, so it looks like an A. Whereas the screen maiden has hers holding out, and it looks more like an S, if you will. Very nice. Mm. Uh, okay. But okay. I have the Garcor model, the uh, the store anniversary one. That's the swoopy, swirly ghost. Uh, I think it's a dread, no, not dread blade, a uh, blade geist revenant. I use that one as the anguished one, and it makes it really easy just to be like, this is the one that's going to crit you, and <laughs> you can't do anything about it. <laughs> and they do. Uh, but let's run through it. So we don't need it every, but like, give me, give me what's, uh, what's notable about, uh, the fighter and, uh, Cam, we're going to start with you, Lady Harrow, uh, uninspired and inspired. What makes her notable in the war band? Sure. So, uh, uninspired as the leader, she starts off with a three fury or sword. I don't know if y'all prefer what uh, fury's fine. Dice mechanic. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Three fury. Um, so it's, if you have, uh, oh, what's the, what's the objective? Uh, branching fate. Thank you. Yes. Couldn't think of it tonight. Uh, branching fate. She's good just to get it right off the bat. Um, but beyond that, she's four move and she starts with four wounds uninspired. So she's the tankiest of them all. Mm-hmm. And then inspired 
Um, all of them have a unique reaction or a unique thing. Hers is the coolest because um, whenever you declare an attack action against a fighter that's not her, she gets a free push. Mm. And I never remember this, and I always like look in uh, in dull amazement as uh, as you take this reaction. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? Oh no! <laughs> so, uh, and this is this trigger after an attack action. It's after an opponent declares an attack okay. action. Okay, so it does not occupy the after attack action window, but uh, you could use it yeah. to come in for Correct. support uh, or just to move on to the other objective or, or whatever the case. A very flexible thing, right? Yeah. Indeed. All right. She also gets cleave. Oh. Yeah, cleave, and she goes up to three damage. Yeah, all significant things. I think I, yeah, there's a number of those pieces that I overlook where all of a sudden I'm like, ah, mm -hmm. you know, uh, she at least doesn't gain any accuracy, but she does uh, if you if you have block defense, which many people do because there's a lot of people going on guard. So even if you didn't, you do. Pick another one, anguish one or the maiden. Which which is your next that you uh, want to touch there, Cam? Oh, anguish one because she's my favorite of the bunch. So um, uninspired. Oh, a, a quick point of order, I guess. Um, all of the banshees uninspired start with four movement and two mm -hmm. dodge. And then when they inspire, they flip over to five move and two dodge still. And how do they inspire Cam? Oh, so the fighter moved through a hex occupied by an enemy fighter in this activation. Um, I'm glad that Beastgrave clarified that this won't proc during a charge because it is a super action and then you inspire afterwards. Um, but walking through them and having that four move or five move, uh, four move, excuse me, is a quite a handy little trick yeah, to have. So you'll still inspire. You just will have to take your attack uninspired uh, if you're charging. Is that that's it correct yeah. correct uh we did have a listener question bill wanted to know if you can use counter charge in order to inspire during your opponent's turn uh and that's a little confusion on on part of someone reading that card and thinking of it as a charge uh that's just uh, counter charge is a push uh you cannot push through an enemy fighter you can only move through an enemy fighter so it's a that is a that's a no bill um it's got to be a move and it's got to be I don't think they have any out of activation moves, but it, it even says activation. So even if you manage to find a way to move out of activation, you're still, you know, if you're, if you're playing a uh, relic and, and uh, good old ready for actions around, even that won't uh, do it for you. But back to, back to the anguish one. Yeah. Um, so uninspired, she's a little unnotable. She has three wounds. So she is a decent, decent fighter. Um, two fury, two damage. Uh, when she inspires, she jumps up to four wounds, which is the nice little defensive buff. Um, but the big thing is she goes to three fury. She's still two damage with her piercing chill blade. But if you use that weapon, and that's a key thing that I want to point out, it has to be the piercing mm -hmm. chill blade. Um, rolls of crit do not count as crit successes or successes at all for defense rolls against uh, that yeah. attack action. That is a wild accuracy boost, as it turns out. Like. It gets it, it takes away a lot of pips on the defense dice for you know ha half of the faces that are helpful uh, and and the crit which would normally stop you. So as soon as you hit like two successes against a one defense fighter, you've you've got the hit. It is rough. I mean, if she rolls any crits, she just automatically sure, hits right. too, <laughs> which is kind of insane. Um, so you can really take advantage of that by you know, stacking extra dice and stuff and just fish for one crit and you know you get mm -hmm. the hit. Um, what about her partner crime, the Maiden? Yeah, so just like her, uh, Maiden uninspired, four, two, and three. Also two fury, two damage. Same 
same starting stats. However, when she inspires, she keeps her three wounds, but she goes up to four fury, still at two damage with her lethal blade. And her special thing is that on crit, she gets mm. plus one damage. So an insane accuracy boost with going from mm. two to four dice and in, increases that crit chance mm-hmm. significantly. Uh, if only hidden weapon was oh, concealed a, weapon. Yeah. Concealed weapon. Yeah. It wasn't a relic anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stellar fighters ferocity yeah. though. Not, yeah. Fair enough. But yeah. Going from two to three damage on a crit is really nice, especially when you're rolling yeah. four dice minimum. Uh, and now how about the one that feels a little bit about the, uh, the odd one out, uh, the widow. So she's the weakest starting with a four, two, two. Um, she does have two fury and she keeps three damage on her weapon. When she inspires, she jumps up to three, uh, the nice three health that I like. Um, still two fury for three damage, but she does get an extra action. If she has no move tokens, place the fighter in any empty hex and give her a move. Nice for scoring shortcut. Nice for really repositioning across the board. Uh, before the uh, updated far list, uh, it was nice for getting a loner yeah. that game too. Yeah, this this honestly, this is the fighter that when I first looked at their cards, this is one I was most excited about because it seemed really really good. Uh, I just have never, I've I've very rarely seen it actually happen in a game, um, and uh, we can we can get into some of the why about that uh, later. But uh, it it's interesting. It, it feels like another one, kind of like Lady Harrow's push. Like if you somehow overlook this, you can get really surprised by something. I think maybe, maybe it's because an action is, is kind of a lot to ask uh, for something, even if it is powerful. Um, there's usually, there's often something more useful you could do with it, but, but actually let's talk about that inspire. So you, you, you have to get in, you know, with, with the inspire condition, you, you talked about what the actual mechanic of it was. Uh, Talk to me about how that feels on the table. Like, do you do you think it's a particularly powerful inspire condition, or is it, uh, or challenging, or where does it fall on that spectrum, in your opinion? I think it's a very mixed bag. In some cases, it's a very easy inspire condition. If you've built your deck to be very aggro and you're fighting an aggro warband, it's probably going to be a faster inspire game. Um, if you're playing a def- more defensive mourn flight or fighting a more defensive warband, um, you're probably not going to get very many inspires until I've had it as late as uh, the third act third round mm-hmm. before I got anyone inspired. Yeah. I, I can say facing them with an aggro war band, it does feel bad to, I'm, I'm going to bomb somebody in there to try and get a, get a kill, hopefully get through that two dodge. And then if you don't, then they said, Oh man, then now a bunch of ghosts are just going to go running right through me. And now, now not only will I have not killed one, but they're all inspired or many of them are. So, but but like you said, if it's a standoff, because uh, you if you are not inspired and you don't have any card help, in order to do this, you need to be just you need to be standing what three away to be able to do it. Correct, without any upgrades. Yeah, it's actually pretty close. Um, so uh, that's why some cards that we will talk about are particularly important for them. Uh, <laughs> and and I think honestly, I think that's <laughs> some of why I, I haven't seen the widow as much because. Uh, if she's close enough to have inspired a lot of times she's kind of in the mix and that that move is maybe not as important she's already maybe where she wants to be or, or some such but and talking about inspirations and inspiration mechanics as a warband how important do you feel inspiration is to this this one i guess going up with uh the accuracy really the one that wants it the most in, in priority i'd say probably be anguish one because 
obviously uh, cutting out crits for defense is amazing. Um, I'd probably put Lady Harrow right after that, just because the extra push is good to catch off guard. After that, I could really give or take if the Widow gets inspired and uh, the Screaming Maiden having that extra extra dice is really nice, but not necessarily game-breaking. Sure. And I imagine that's probably somewhat determined by play style as well. Definitely. Um, if I had like a more aggro build and I need to rush up there, I'd probably prioritize uh, Screaming Maiden and Anguish One over Lady Harrow. So that's a that's a look over the fighters and the inspiration. Let's talk cards, and it all starts with objectives. So uh, in our usual fashion, we're going to talk about what in-faction objectives are of note and which ones out of faction are of note. And I think in particular we're going to get into this a little bit, but I think what uh, will what makes them strong and potentially what makes them strong uh, perhaps long-term is that I feel like there's a lot of interesting in-faction objectives uh, so they can, they can kind of keep themselves fueled uh, whatever, whatever happens to the universal pool. Uh, did you find the same Cam? Definitely. I think they capitalized on the beast grave uh, design space where they are basically giving you an entire warband deck as soon as you get it. So you have your 20 power and 12 objectives and they made it, fairly robust i'd say i'd play with about eight maybe nine of the 12 objectives and then supplement it switch it out with whatever uh universals mm. they have that just really fit the play style mm. that's that's uh eight eight or nine in faction uh is, is sort of unheard of for any other uh yeah any other faction so uh let's hit some of the the highlights i think i think uh i would say for me that the signature playing against them is one will and fleeting memories one will being uh hold and even and an odd and fleeting memories is have a fighter move through two and these are both surges for one um and they they were the first i remember we talked about this but they were the first that we saw a way of scoring immediately interacting with objectives um maybe with possible exception possible exception of focal formation yep Uh, but i i find those to be signature like it almost doesn't matter the play style you're going to see those is that that seemed pretty accurate. Definitely. They're just too easy to score, especially with, um, I guess, how much of, how many pushes they have and the fact that even if your opponent's playing defensively against you and are playing objectives themselves, they'll probably put them in a close clump so that even if you're going aggro against them, you'll be able to score fleeting memories or hopefully get a one will. Yeah. And, right. and I think an interesting thing to point out with one will is that it's a score immediately in the true sense. It's not um, it's not like temporary victory or swift capture where it's after an activation. It's just as long as your warband holds one even and one odd, you score. So you can score this in the power step with teleports or uh, pushes, which um given their in-faction pushes or on the fighter cards having pushes and teleports it's kind of like well this this feels almost like right it's too easy yeah <laughs> well uh and both those are are uh are objectives that score without relying on any dice all, all you got to do is is be in those positions you don't have to uh, succeed in an attack or a defense or anything like that so big deal there another one actually another one that doesn't require dice is uh, inescapable hunger um Kim, you want to run that one down for us? Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Um, it is a little bit board dependent. It is a surge. Uh, it's a score immediately if a friendly fighter makes a move action 
that travels through a blocked hex and ends that move action adjacent to enemy fighter. Mm-hmm. So quick and easy if you're just trying to uh, cover ground, no pun intended on that, or <laughs> uh, even make a charge off of it. You'll still score because it, it is still part of the move action of the super action. Um, mm-hmm. It's also good because it really capitalizes on the Banshee's strengths of ignoring blocked lethal, potentially even picking up an inspiration if a fighter's hanging out next to an, uh, a block text. Um, one of the tips that I like to do is always throw um, one of the objectives next to a block text. That way, mm-hmm. if my opponent does try to make an early push for it, there's a chance of me not only inspiring, but also picking up glory on it. Sure. Um, what what else What else catches your attention? Um, I think one of the overlooked ones um, I like a lot is Ghostly Torment. Uh, it's a dual end phase. Uh, if you have two or more surviving friendly fighters and two or more surviving fighters have one or more wound tokens, get two glory. Uh, the cool thing about this is that your banshees are fairly resilient, so it's good if you get it even in the first or second round. You're going to have hopefully have two banshees around. And it's the second condition, which is kind of overlooked, is that it's any two surviving fighters having wound tokens. Mm-hmm. So you're already trying to wound your opponent, try to kill him out, but it's I've sometimes actually left um, a fighter alive with one wound left just to pick up the two glory for ghostly torment and then try to pick up the kill the next round. Yeah. And what's, what's crucial about this is that it's a, uh, it's a two glory end phase and those are feeling a little bit scarce on the ground now, especially with keep them guessing, uh, gone. I, I found myself reaching more and more for combo strike, which is dangerously unreliable. Um, when you, I would you prone, prone to bricking. Uh, so I, I think anyone who has a solid two glory end phase uh, objective in their, in their infaction cards has got something good going for them. But um, Davey, yes, they don't have just one true glory. End phase. <laughs> yeah. They have two. Oh no. Tell yeah. me more. They, uh, they even have four, but <laughs> <laughs> they're not all as good as some of them. You know, uh, I guess the big one here is Nexus of terror uh, score an end phase. If your warband holds the most objectives free to glory. Yeah. Um, yep. And that uh, that is great anti-aggro who are not necessarily paying that close of attention to it. Um, I know, I think I was playing Max and I remember like maneuvering to try and I, I couldn't even remember if this was actually a card, but I was like, I feel like, I feel like you have a card in your, in your faction that has you hold to. And I, I was glad I worked against it, but now, now it's always in my mind, you know? And, and the thing is they like standing on them anyway. So it's hard to always notice when this is getting set up. Yeah. I mean, the worst would be someone holds one objective and scores two glory for it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, rough. Uh, and yeah, so but uh, what about uh, what about what about if you want even more than two glory? Uh, if you want a three glory third end phase, I got a tasty oh, one. <laughs> yeah. Now you're talking about dominion over death. <laughs> yeah. Um, scoring the third end phase if you score the most objective cards. Oh man, it's like uh, what was it called? Superior tactician all over again. Sure. Yeah, but it's in faction, so it's never going away. Never going yep. away. Uh, and the only other thing is that you know it it is a little bit dependent on what your opponent has done. Um, so this is true. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, any anything else you want to hit in faction, or should we we touch on some of the things that you reach for from out of faction? Uh, I'm good for out of faction here. All right. Uh, what what do you like for out of faction? Um, Actually, I know it's a kind of counterintuitive. I like Scrum a lot. Mm. 
So it's a good counterplay, especially with the larger warbands and the fact that Scrum's so popular. It's nice just to have it as a back pocket. If my opponent has a Scrum, I've actually, I think David, you and I, we played a game where we both scored Scrum immediately. Turning, yeah, first activation. Uh, first first or second activation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, because uh, I've, I've done it with uh, Reavers. Uh, I don't know if I'll include it now that it's restricted. It's, it's a tough call. But here's what you were talking about here with One Will and Fleeting Memories, being able to score them no matter uh, whether you are needing to be the aggressor or the defender. This gives you something if it's standoff. Uh, there's a lot of boards you can set up where a single move uh, gets you gets you this. You know, so and you're fast enough and not worried about blocked or occupied hexes. It's very easy for you to maneuver into a useful position for this. Exactly. I guess a little off the wall pick. Um, I like shortcut. Mm-hmm. Uh, it fits more into my playstyle. I have um, both uh, confusion and um, oh, shifting reflection. Mm-hmm in my deck. So just having two ways of quickly picking it up and also being very disruptive to my opponent. And then on the off chance that, uh, the widow gets inspired, I have a actual action to guarantee me to pick it up shortcut. Sure. It's nice to have late game. You know, you want to have one, you want to have the ability to have that on, on the board. If you, uh, if you need another route, if you got forced to use one of your, one of your power cards that would score it for you early or they're buried, it's nice to have uh, something on the board that'll get you there. So, uh, I've seen some people take temporary victory. Uh, I think there's some play there, but I think it's really nice to not have to worry about whether you have three objectives or two. Um, so I think that maybe may depend. It, it's it's real strong. Uh, I think you probably don't take supremacy, but you you temporary victory. You're fast enough that you could strike in late or you know widow over uh, on something uh, to grab it. So. I, I don't think someone's wrong for taking it, uh, but I think it's a it's a tougher, uh, especially now that's restricted. Uh, it's a it's a tougher sell than mm-hmm. some of the other ones. Phil, you you have you seen anything in particular from out of faction for these? Um, I haven't seen anything since the only person I've seen play them <laughs> is Cam. But um, <laughs> I think I think Swift Capture is one that could be interesting for them, given given their ability to move around the board. And if you happen to have the widow inspired, it's almost guaranteed because you could just put her on whichever one you need. Um, but even if you've just got two objectives in your territory, um, if, if, if the objective, you know, if you only have two objectives, there's going to be one probably fairly close unless your opponent has um, been very calculating and keeping their objectives very far away from you. Mm-hmm. So it may not actually be all that much to just fly across the middle of the board a little bit and suddenly grab a quick glory that way too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, my takeaway between both these uh, in faction and out of faction, especially for your deck uh, cam is that it's a bunch of uh, score immediates that can score uh, regardless of dice. So it's, it's moving, it's positioning. Uh, it is, I can stand back here and scrum. I can stand back here and shortcut. Uh, and that actually plays uh, plays pretty nice with the other one that we talked about, Dominion of Death, uh, because you can you can score a bunch of these. You, you basically say, like, I am almost certainly going to score, you know, five or six of these plus whatever uh, end phase stuff I can pick up, which really gets you ahead in the race to, to be able to score Dominion of Death. Uh, and hopefully they're glory starved uh, when you get there. So I think those complement each other very well. Definitely. Definitely. I, 
I think another thing that um, sort of plays into this a little bit is that they're surprisingly hard to take out. Um, starting at two dodge is a real bear if you don't have any ensnare to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're not. They only have the one two wound fighter, and she's probably going to be in the back. So um, almost nobody is guaranteed to get any kills until at least round two, probably. Um, and by then they've probably already done a lot of work. Um, and that's, uh, sort of an interesting, uh, juxtaposition with thorns where you really have to worry about glory bleed because you've got so many of those chain rasps that are easy to kill. Would you want to talk upgrades or gambits next? Oh, let's go with gambits. They're too much fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, give me some favorites and we, we can, uh, salt it around a little if you want to in faction, out of faction, however, however, whatever you're most excited about, throw it at me. Sure. Um, I'm going to actually start with a weird one here for in faction. One of my favorites is dissipate. Oof, not one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so yeah. strong. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a wonderful reaction, uh, played during an attack action before the attack roll. Choose a friendly fighter, and they gain an innate dodge, and it'll persist until the end of the act- attack activation. This is the first we've seen of this anywhere, uh, first and only so far. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, besides the fact that the obvious survival boost that you get with a free innate dodge, um, I like that it occupies the same reaction window as Potion of Rage. Ooh, I did not notice that. That is rough. All right. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Uh, I pulled it against a uh, player, and it was not it was not a fun experience for him. <laughs> it's a it, it boots the card from being like an A plus card already to like an S tier, if you yeah. will, for me. Well, and and it's one of the cards we talked about this uh, uh, with some other cards, but this this is a sort of card that kind of skews. If you have not played it yet, it skews the whole way I play. Like I uh, every time I'm going in, yeah. I already am trying to bring a lot of accuracy. But it feels like every time I'm going into anything, like I cannot, I cannot bring enough accuracy, you know, like and until that goes, I got to assume that it's in hand and I, I'm trying I'm overkilling accuracy on every attempt. Uh, and it's powerful just, just in the fact that it exists. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, this is sort of like when, um, when you do things like, uh, what's it called? Um, demonic resilience mm-hmm. where you sort of wait. You can see that your opponent's building up, but this is even better because you get to do it as a reaction. Mm-hmm. So you can wait and be like, okay, they're playing all the cards. Okay, well, even if you don't necessarily need that fighter to survive that attack, mm-hmm. just knowing that your opponent used all those cards, if you could negate that attack, there's like a psychological impact of that. Sure. Where they're like, oh man, I just burned all these resources well, for nothing. Yeah, especially if uh, especially if they're stacking things like movement and damage and, and not the accuracy because they haven't improved their chances to hit it all, but they're they're going all in on yeah. this, and then you, you make it that uh, that much more likely that they've wasted it. Um, we already uh, referenced this, the two in-faction push cards they have. It's Call of the Grave, and what's the other one? Is it uh, Frightful Aspect? Frightful, yeah. So Frightful Aspect, aspect is just a, uh, is a equivalent to Distraction, which is... A, an amazing card in and of itself. Um, Call of the Grave, run that down for us real quick. Sure. Choose an enemy fighter, push them up to two hexes towards a friendly fighter. And once the battlefield is, it's not the closest, it's a fr- uh, a friendly fighter. So once the battlefield is kind of all, all mixed around, it's real easy to find, uh, find a way to use that to pull somebody in any direction that you might care to pull them. Uh, this is kind of 
unheard of disruption if you are distraction frightful aspect call of the grave like it is it is rough uh and it is great against aggro it's great against uh objective play who are trying to stand on uh, a two hex push is real hard to to uh, bounce back from because if they got sidestep in hand or you know um quickening greaves or what have you that's one thing but uh those those can't uh, counter a two push right yeah, exactly. I, I think the only the only real solid defense against this is like, what's it called? Shadow form, I think, <laughs> is a spell where you, if you cast it for the rest of the round, you just can't be pushed. Um, yeah, there's but, there's a stone form, which makes you a quarry minus one move. And you, oh, you just, but that, yeah, that one's there's that. rough. And there's a there's a can't be chosen by gambits, but they, they're all, all of them have like pretty rough downsides. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and even including them in your deck, like you're you're taking up space just for this one matchup, and that's basically untenable. So, um, yeah, that's really strong. Uh, well, let's talk. Uh, what else? What else uh, really calls you there, Cam? Sure. Uh, probably one of my favorite ones. Also, uh, Chilling Scream. Uh, your opponents cannot play power cards. Persist to the end of the power step. It's a better no time. Um, because it doesn't preclude you from playing power sure. cards, but it's definitely one of I've played either right after my first activation in a round, usually round two or three, if I can hold yeah. on to it just to, if I do a big push myself, I just prevent my opponent from stacking a bunch of buffs and then killing out my key fighters. Right, often the advantage of that second activation is that you, you get to use a bunch of power step stuff. You're like, okay, cool. Uh, you know that the banshees went first, but at least I'll counter punch harder. And here you say, no, nah, actually you won't. You know, uh, so it gives the ban yeah. like you're saying, it gives the banshees the the, the first real hard hit because you will have the first opportunity to power up, right? Exactly. Um, what when else you so early? But oh, when else would you uh, have you found as uh, as a good time to be playing this? Because this, I I I'm asking you because this is particularly I think a high. We've talked about this sort of before. It's a high skill cap card, like. It's there's really great things you can do with this sort of card if you know your timing and know how and when to use it. Um, so early and when else? Um, I've used it mid to late game as well. Um, I know that basically hits everything, but um, usually near the end, well, like one of the last power steps, um, just to make sure that my opponent can't do anything else. So maybe they have a couple pushes in their hand. Um, let's say I'm going second and I notice they have set up two fighters right next to two objectives or two of them are on one objective. I know I can easily or potentially knock one of them off with a attack or even with a drive back. But if they have a sidestep or something in there, I can quickly just shut them down um, from any of their high scoring in phase objectives. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's a, a great one with all these objective warbands out there, like you said, disrupt them and then keep them from using, because often they have a huge hand of tricks uh, they're doing to try and and they're gonna often again hold on to those until pretty late uh in order to make sure that there's nothing else that can disrupt them and uh this is again a card uh similar to dissipate where if you know it's out there then all of a sudden you're pressured like okay maybe i shouldn't hold my pushes until the fourth round because if i do i may not get a chance to use them um so yeah big time um uh, right I guess the final time that I would key in using it is if I'm setting up my, if I know I have a very strong setup for myself, um, I've played it sometimes as a, 
hey, I have distraction and uh, call mm-hmm. the grave. And I know I can just stop them if they're maybe like three hexes away from me or if they're if I'm pulling them through a lethal or two, making sure that they don't interrupt me sure. in the middle of it. Right, right. You, you get to make sure your combo get out. I, I would say the only way in which no time has any kind of advantage is that because it uh, no time does block um, gambits played during the during the next uh, rounds or not uh, sorry during until the next power step so uh, it'll keep you safe from reactions uh, for instance if you were worried about something dissipating you could no time and uh, prevent the prevent the dissipate from being played uh, until the until the next power step uh, but that's uh, I think in general chilling screen probably has more utility how about out of faction how about anything else that uh, you particularly like yeah I like a lot of the other pushes. Um, the easy shout out, of course, is Restless Prize, uh, just to disrupt my opponent even mm-hmm. further and to counter their own Restless mm-hmm. Prize. Yep. Uh, speaking of prizes, Irresistible Prize and Center of Attention are also very good, just because both of them, if I'm already disrupting my opponent, suddenly I'm pulling one of one of their fighters one to three spaces and then pulling in a center of attention on them I have a massive impact across their entire mm-hmm. board state and can really mess with a lot of their plans sure. or support. Well, and then uh, back to Restless Prize, uh, not only is it disruption and, you know, say, say I take in my Reavers, uh, it's, it's fine. It's real powerful for disruption, but it's maybe not doing me a whole lot, like not directly benefiting me. It is messing up my opponent for you. You can not only mess up your opponent, but you can, you can set up hexes to make it, uh, make it real easy to get your, um, fleeting memories or, or, uh, or, you know, pull one of those evens out and get the, uh, uh, get your one will. Uh, so you, you benefit in a lot of ways from it besides just messing up your opponent, which makes it a particularly powerful card to include. So, uh, if, if it wasn't auto include in other decks, it probably is for this one. Um, Phil, Cam, any, any other, uh, gamuts we want to hit before we move along? Um, one that I like, although I not, you know, not being a more in fight player myself, I don't know if maybe it's used all that much, but I really like Enervating Sorrow, um, which is a reaction where when your opponent plays a ploy, before it resolves, they have to choose to discard another power card or the ploy is not resolved. Um, and and I like, I like that it both gives you an opportunity to interrupt a ploy, which is not something you can usually do very easily, um, but then it also has another tax on top of it if they do decide they want to be able to continue uh, playing their ploy, mm-hmm. which can um, be a really strong psychological blow where your opponent's like, oh man, I had this whole thing planned out. I had all these cards that I was planning to use, and then all of a sudden it gets just blown apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I just like design space like that, and we don't see it very much in this game. Yeah. So. Um, mm-hmm. I like having those opportunities. I guess my instinct on that card is that it's more powerful the more empty your opponent's hand is uh, because they're less likely to have something that they're just, oh, you know, this is something I don't care about. They're they're down, or they might have nothing else left, and then you've definitely got it. So, um, Anything else? You part- We've talked about some of the movements, so uh, uh, Spectral Wings can be uh, great for letting you do more of your uh, movement uh, movement shenanigans, scoring your stuff, inspiring as well. Because I, I remember, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I would see 
don't quite have enough hexes to do everything you want. So you'd say, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to score one will or, uh, I'm sorry, not one will I'll, I'll score uh, fleeting memories, um, and inescapable hunger, but I won't be able to inspire because I, I need another couple hexes. And sometimes I can let you get multiples of those out at the same time. Um, anybody got any other gambits we want to hit before we move along? I think we talked about it already and mentioned it in passing, but um, obviously distraction. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Double distraction <laughs> a and a two hex push. Yeah. Uh, oppressive. I think, uh, I think I know it's some of the end of some of our uh, power steps, like the board state is so wildly different than when it started because you've done so much pushing around that like, oh man, I, I'm just going to chuck the old plan and start from scratch here. Cause I, it's, it's not, uh, it's not anything like it was at the start of this. How about upgrades? Uh, I, I gets a little thinner here. I, I uh, on my scan, there weren't as as many upgrades as I thought. Like, oh, these are, you know, these are as solid gold as, as some of the uh, objective and gambits are. But that's fine. Uh, but what uh, what upgrades do you like, Cam? Sure. Um, the first one, uh, I got to give a shout out to Arcane Siphon. Um, it's just a very niche, niche one that I found. Um, it gives you a new action. Choose an enemy fighter within three hexes. Pick a fighter's upgrade. It's discarded. And then you roll an attack dice, and on a uh, smash or crit, you discard arcane siphon as well. Give me so you got a fifty yeah fifty fifty chance of keeping it around. Too. Give me the uh, top three favorite upgrades you've trashed on somebody with this. Ooh, uh, sudden growth, oh uh, just to kill fighters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. I had I had a very sad um, Garrick looking looking uh, across at a ghost that was about to peel his sudden growth off. It was. It's bad times. Um, I guess earlier in Beast Crave, before the FAQ, um, I think I peeled off a Crown of Avarice, and that was really nice oh, just yeah. to pick up the extra extra one. Um, and then I, I think I, t- I took off a Tome of Glories once on a uh, Tome player, too. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that uh, not only you, you take away all the glory they get for reading it, but the, the glory that they'll score at the end. That's a that's a high value. That's a high value rip right there. Oh, yeah. Yep. Good choice. Good rogue choice. Phil, any of them jump out to you? Um, so when we first tested these guys out, one that I ended up liking a lot, but I didn't think that I would when I initially read it was Hollow Hatred, um, which lets you reroll a dice in the attack uh, of the first attack that this fighter makes in each round. Um, so it, it balances nicely where... Um, you know, normally getting rerolls all the time is really powerful, and they, um, you know, they restricted awakened weapon for that reason, um, and and so I felt like this was an interesting way of designing to help mitigate that. But then when I sort of thought about it, usually fighters only make one attack around anyway when they're melee because they charge when they're going to make their attacks. Um, so I ended up actually really liking that because it effectively felt like an in faction awakened weapon. Yeah, um, but uh, but not so powerful that it is in restricted territory. So I, I found sometimes with this, because the uh, Condemners who I've played a little bit more have a similar one, it can slightly be awkward where you'll attack somebody who's standing next to you, and then before you go charging off somewhere, you're like, oh, I'll draw a power card, and you draw draw this, and you're like, ah, I'm oh, not doing yeah. me any good this round. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's, uh, it is solid. Um, Cam. Anything else in the upgrades? Uh, in faction or out? Yeah. Go. Uh, in faction, debilitating aura. Oh, yeah. Um, 
quick upgrade. Um, it's basically a better version of the Thorns one, where uh, as a reaction, you can roll a dice and you'll get minus one dice to the opponent. This one's just a flat out, if you're attack action to adjacent enemy fighters, or just minus one dice to minimum of one. I, I like that your reference point was was a relatively obscure Thorns card that most people probably uh, forgot existed. Yeah. <laughs> um, this this uh this is pick pick a guy uh, pick a pick a banshee and make them uh, the uh, knights herald um, and a real pain. Uh, remind me, is this one? I, I know you just said is it is it uh, only when attacking this or is it uh, any attacks by someone adjacent? All right, just all attacks adjacent. Yeah, rough. Okay. Um, the, the thing that bugs me about this one, um, and this this is not a knock on this card, but a knock on the spell design of the similar card of, I think it's Terrifying Visage, where I think that's only for the round, and you have to roll a channel to get it to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I think, I think there was at least at one point maybe a, a thought that spells were going to be so strong that they needed to be able to like, balance them out with this with the rolls mm-hmm. but then you get the exact same mechanic that lasts forever on an upgrade and it's kind of like uh well okay yeah. <laughs> what i what i think makes this particularly powerful we've already is is these fighters are already uh pretty defensive right so right um, yeah with between dissipate and two dodge and then once you start losing dice man crit fishing gotten a lot harder so uh a good choice uh, I think I put uh, uh, sweeping dash. It's a it's a big speed buff, um, and for the same reason that I, I bring up um, spectral wings, um, it just lets you do more cool things. And when you're uh, when you're trying to do your attacks, if you're doing any kind of aggro, the range one really benefits from that increased speed. Yeah. Uh, how about out of faction? Anything anybody's excited about there? Uh, the easy call out is spectral armor. Mm-hmm. Um, survival instincts for the same reason, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or why not both? Uh, yeah. And, and while we're on that, uh, topic, I would say, um, if you can afford the restricted slot, I think they can potentially benefit quite a bit from spirit bond. Uh, any, any fighter yep. who's yeah. rolling lots of dice really likes this. And, uh, if you're throwing four dice with, uh, one or three dice, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Uh, and then on your defense, as you stack those up, uh, all of a sudden, a lot of faces are looking like successes there. So, uh, big definitely. Um, do you ever put weapons on your on your uh, banshees? Or any any uh, uh, attack action upgrades that you you find attractive? I throw I throw an amber bone axe in my recent most recent deck, just because it's too good of an upgrade to have right now. Um, I'm guessing, assuming we're going to have an amber bone spear. If we get one of those, uh, the extra range and the breaking it for additional glories probably going to sway me to uh, throw that instead of the amber bone axe sure uh, the fact that the banshees uh the, the anguish one and oh my god i'm blanking on the screen maiden both of them require you to make their actual card printed attacks to get their bonuses means that i don't value weapons as much that makes sense um, what i what i do like is prize vendetta especially with the updated mm. uh, faq yep. for it just re-rolling as many dice as you want is yeah. nice that that uh that's a good good call um and when you're on swords uh you're likely to have a quite a few that you could afford to reroll. um so yeah Ma- imagine you're going with the 
the maiden force four sword you know roll one sword well it's effectively a plus three dice you know uh upgrade so um big exactly. time um I, it's worth mentioning in light of the most recent forsaken and restricted is uh i think veil of grief is that their plus one wound upgrade yeah um They've got that in faction now, so that and great fortitude and a uh, few things more demoralizing than figuring out like engineering a way that you could maybe take one down and then they just get uh, out of range just purely on wounds. So uh, it's another thing that increases their survivability and makes them real hard to uh, get glory off of. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we have any other cards, uh, upgrades or otherwise that we want to touch before we uh, kind of get some of the bigger picture stuff? I'll give a quick final shout out to uh, Blazing Soul. Oh, yes. I found yeah. that, yes, I found that I've used uh, that more on the Widow more than mm-hmm. anything, just to get that extra movement uh, for the teleport. Yeah, it also helps if I have the uh, have two fighters, uh, two surviving friendly fighters inspired. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a real good call. Um, and so the Widow, like you said, it, it can unlock her ability to to uh, do her tricky stuff. But uh, also, uh, I, I know I'll be coming and kind of doing the math like uh, the only people left that haven't charged are not particularly accurate and are not doing much damage. And then you'll uh, blazing soul somebody like, well, never mind. They, <laughs> now, they're, <laughs> now they're super accurate and faster than I thought and hitting harder than I thought and everything is terrible. So, uh, yeah, I, that's, a, that's a good call. Um, and especially for them because they have ways to passively score glory. Uh, so... Uh, you can you can passively get that glory and then selectively pick whichever fighter is the is the um, tool for the tool bag tool from the tool bag that you uh, need to do the job and, and upgrade that one. Let's talk uh, let's talk overall strengths and weaknesses and we've kind of covered this in general but let's let's be specific about it. Uh, let's uh, Cam, why don't you why don't you throw out what you what do you what have you found has been some of the uh, strongest aspects of this faction as opposed to others that you've played? They are incredibly tricky. I think that's something that can't be underestimated. Um, like we said, with all the cards, they're just very, very uh, reliable in a lot of their pushes and fast scoring. Um, they're very well-rounded warband, especially with all their disruptions. Mm-hmm. The fact that all the inspired fighters have some other extra mechanic on top of them basically means they have a free upgrade or a free gambit with a, as a reaction or as a move if you will think about it yeah uh so they're very good with action economy um phil you got anything that you uh found as a particular strength for them yeah um cam sort of said it but i i think this uh the fact that they're so well balanced just like i think it's it's hard to you know really comprehend until you start getting into a game how strong it is to not really have that dangle bro on the team. Um, if, if you're aggro into these guys, there's no, there's no easy point to start attacking from. And that means that you're probably sort of starting to fight uphill and you never want that. And then on the other side, they are fast enough and accurate enough, although maybe not, immediately um that when they're the ones that want to be on the offense they they can still get to you and do what they need to um without having to worry about getting blown up which um so they're they're kind of like 
the jacks of all trades. They can kind of do a little bit of everything, but at the same time, they don't feel like they have a really heavy weakness to go with it. Mm. And, and then I, I mean, that was my core thing is it feels like every time I played against them, they seem incredibly flexible uh, to, to the point that, um, and I'll ask you this question in a second, but um, to me, it feels like when I, you know, if I win rolls for the boards to decide whether I want more objectives or to uh, set the boards in a particular way, like I, I don't know which way to go. I think they're probably happy either way. Like would, they're happy to have three or they're happy to have board control and diagonal offset them and make your life miserable. Um, do when, when you win uh, the role, is there any particular one you lean towards or is it matchup dependent or what, what have you found uh, Cam? With my disruption playstyle, I like to choose boards, uh, especially if it's like the first game in a series, just because um, molten shard pit and having that three lethal right in my opponent's face. And the fact that I have up to, four pushes, I can just quickly kill a bunch of things without ever making mm-hmm. an attack. Uh, and actually, uh, mentioning Molten Shard Pit is a, is a good point. Another strength that uh, we've kind of glossed over is uh, ignoring lethals in Beast Grave is a really big deal. There's a lot of damage that comes from lethals, and uh, true. they don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about starting with two dodge right away. I, I know uh, playing a lot of aggro war bands, it feels miserable to engineer a way to go and get a hit on somebody and know that they're going to be rolling two dice at you and when you get that one success uh and you're crossing your fingers hoping you don't see you know or even if they're uh, you know two dice crit fishing is uh, i can feel pretty bad too um and that's uh we had a listener mention that if you think a lot of the, their power comes from not needing to inspire to get to those two defense dice and you can you can compare that directly with the thorns that you've played for so much yeah, um, I, I think it lends a lot of their ability. And uh, I guess to circle back on Phil's point, uh, like I said, we don't have any dangle bros in it. Everyone hits hard and they're more resilient than at first glance, especially um, when you don't get those early inspires or even mid-game inspires. You're still never in a position where, uh, unless I guess they have ensnare or something, it's a, it's still two dice. It's not, not mm-hmm. bad at all. Yeah. Uh, let's talk weaknesses. What, what do you feel like uh, they have for weaknesses, if any? Um, part of their learning curve, I think, is knowing when to be aggressive and when to be more defensive. Because you definitely, I definitely ran into situations early on when I would build them a little bit more aggro and just throw Lady into a situation where she didn't need to be. And even rolling three dice on, on swords, it's not the most accurate attack. And then she's just kind of hanging out there. Yeah. And if I don't get that inspiration, then she's not getting pushed around. If my opponent like leaves her in the middle of the board and goes after someone else because she charged early, uh, they uh, I hate to blame dice for a lot of things, uh, but in some cases they can live and die by the dice. Sure. I'm, I've I've had some uh, games against them turn bad because they I forced them into a bad enough position they, where they say, well, I guess I'm going to charge with the widow and try to hard roll, you know, a two fury attack against whatever. But if that goes off, that was th- three damage from an uninspired fighter, you know, flying in from the back. And uh, so it, it, you know, it'll cut both ways. Oh but yeah. Um, three swords. Uh, although we, we've seen statistically, it's about as likely to hit as two hammers on against most things. Uh, it, it feels all the swingier because you're, you have those times where you, you know, throw three dice and don't see a single success. Uh, but yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, any weaknesses you thought needed to get hit, uh, Phil? 
Um, I mean, it's not it's not a a real strong weakness, but I do think that um, having a four fighter warband is in some ways a weakness because if anybody does happen to get going and gets one kill, all of a sudden you are now you don't have enough fighters to fill all your activations unless like you can just make attacks or something. Um, which which can be difficult because you're range one. So, you know, right. it's, it's not like a, a Molog or someone who can probably stand and swing multiple times. And, and you know, having played Curse Breakers, I know that starting to run out of action starts to put you, uh, you know, in a corner a little bit. And um, so while I, while I think that it's not the biggest deal because they do have four, not three to start like Stormcast do, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it does still have the potential to be this limiting factor where if if things don't go well in round one you're probably suddenly looking at a very different game let's let's move on to the game itself uh so we've been talking about your uh we've been talking about your play style and it, it feels like it's a as you've been describing as uh disruptive uh i i guess control is probably a pretty good uh pretty good descriptor like a defensive control archetype such as it is you're you're keeping them from scoring their stuff and then counter punching hard with yours would you say it's pretty accurate and uh have you tried any other play styles in that game yeah i definitely uh would um i didn't put it as a control initially because it doesn't fit the standard Um, i'm gonna hold my objectives and play more defensively because they can be very versatile, mm-hmm. like I said. Um, beyond this, the regular disruption of, I guess, uh, with Grimwatch and Thorns being so big and objectives being huge in the meta, um, them with all their multiple pushes and being resilient really messes with your opponent's plans, uh, especially with all the gamuts that we mentioned earlier. And I feel they are very uh, good counter in the mm-hmm. right hands. Uh, especially if you, I, I think that that power increases if you have a good understanding of what your opponent is trying to do, right? Like all that, all that disruption tech Definitely. is not going to do you any good if you don't have a good sense of what they're trying to do. Yeah. Have you, did you ever try an all out aggro? Have you, have you, uh, seen that? I, I've, I guess I've maybe played against it the once, um, but, uh, the, the typical, more flight deck I've seen is, is uh, similar similar to what you're trying to do uh, just by by degrees of how passive it is or is not. Yeah, I tried it more aggro in my first few go-arounds with it when it first released with Dreadfane. Um, and I, I found that the accuracy uh, early game was a really big hindrance mm-hmm. to it. So definitely playing the patience game, the long game, um, suited me more. Uh, as a quick example, uh, I played a game a few uh, about a week or two ago where I made one attack action the entire game and one twelve to <laughs> seven. Oh, and uh, how many how many uh, enemy fighters did you kill? Uh, I killed three rats. They respawned once or twice, yeah. but I killed three rats. It was, so great. It was all mostly is the one attack and then a bunch of pushes, huh? Pretty much. <laughs> Uh, to add insult to injury, I think that one attack was an amber bone attack. Oh so. my goodness! <laughs> uh, rough. So those are what we've been seeing. Uh, Matt Martin was asking uh, since their official release in Beastgrave, do we feel like they they've had an impact? Have they defined the meta, um, or or have they been kind of a, a non-entity in that regard? Um, I'll I'll throw this one to Phil first, and we'll come back around to you, Cam. 
Um, I I think that they. I I don't think we've seen them much yet, and I think that's pretty much just because before the most recent uh, update to the far, um, it was so easy to build objective decks with Grimwatch and Thorns that people just kind of gravitated to those immediately. And I think, as we've kind of mentioned, there's a little bit of a um, learning curve with using um, the Banshees. And I think there are probably people right now that are using them, and they're probably getting to a point where they're going to be disruptive to the meta because they're going to show up at tournaments and people won't have answers, Mm -hmm. is my guess. Well, and they've won SoCal Open and maybe something Russian. So they've they've had a presence. Uh, I think another factor is that uh, until recently they weren't available in you know some parts of the world without a little bit of gymnastics uh, as far as ordering. Uh, and so I wonder if they fly under the radar a little bit there. Um, but uh, e- even if you don't include that, uh, it's there's not an obvious. They're not like. They're not like thorns where you're saying, okay, what they're going to try and do is stand on a bunch of objectives and uh, all that. They, they, you ha- can have a sense from some of their iconic uh, uh, objectives of what they're going to do, but it's not, it's not like a, a standout place that I would say, oh, this is obviously what I need to do to, to counter it. You know, I said, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's part of, part of it. So there's not, there's not a lot of stuff that's obvious to build towards to, to counter it. Is that, um, what do you, what is your take on it, uh, Cam? They definitely feel very counter meta to me, and it's a very good spot to be in, uh, to be that dark horse that if you don't have an answer to them, or even if you kind of have played against them once or twice, they can still be pretty flexible on what they get throughout mm-hmm. the game. Um, I will say that I find them best in a best of three format just because you could have that first burner match to kind of figure out what your opponent's doing and then know how best to play sure. your cards. Your disruption mm-hmm. becomes becomes more powerful once you have a better understanding, like we were talking about. Uh, Chris Spark wants to know, do you what what are the good and bad matchups? Is there is there a particular warband or style that you have found to be particularly beneficial or um, or the uh, reverse um, in your in your play? Um if they have a board choice, I feel like I won't like playing against Thundrix just for the extra range that they get off because um, they like to keep you at that three to four hex mm-hmm. space. Um, and if they're playing, I guess you, you have to le- really leverage your cards in order to have a strong match against them. Um, anything that's a little bit more aggro against me is a what I would call a better matchup. Um, uh, better for you definitely for definitely for me just because i can get my inspirations sure. and uh now you see me now you don't with uh shifting reflection mm-hmm. and the widow yeah, yeah. right um yeah i remember a uh, backbreaking uh shifting reflection against you i thought i had a fighter in a great spot and all of a sudden he was in the far corner of the board and nowhere near being able to help um <laughs> uh so max um who uh we were trying to figure out a way to get him on here because he's played a bunch. Uh, he specifically has a bad matchup, not against 
thorns necessarily, but against Randall's thorns. And I don't think we can help uh, specifically with <laughs> what's going on there. Uh, have you played into the thorns matchup or do you have any thoughts on that? And especially with them being two war bands that you have played a lot of. So the unfortunate thing, at least in uh, our local meta is that I haven't played another thorns player in a while. So I actually haven't got a good chance to um, play much. I think if at all against thorns, even with like some of the online and events that I've been to, um, if I had to guess, it's, I don't know, it's it's pretty neck and neck. Um, the queen isn't as scary as she is against uh, the lady as uh, as she is to like other warbands, just because you do have that flex and ability to move further and faster than the thorns. Um, the, the fact that Varklav pushes everyone, regardless of if they've already activated or charged or anything, does kind of mess with my own disruption mm-hmm. that I have. Um, but it also means that they want to inspire by being next to you. And Hey, you also inspire by walking sure. through them. So it's a inspiration. My, heavy match. my theory on it is that, uh, they have enough glory that they can ge- generate with temporary victory and supremacy and, and holding objectives. Uh, they can generate that fast enough to keep pace with a lot of your, your passive mm-hmm. things. Um, and then the queen, uh, is a, is a, powerful piece that if uh with some of her appearance sort of things that she can get in a spot to take multiple whacks at a uh at a banshee um especially one that's already moved perhaps and, and kind of stuck where it's at uh and that can mitigate some of your defensive advantages of you know okay maybe you got a crit on your two defense dice this time but she's going to have a couple tries at it because of uh her range too uh, and her ability to kind of uh, extend her reach into a dangerous spot. Uh, and then, so she's almost sort of counter disrupting, um, to say nothing of howling vortex is just a pain in the, <laughs> so, indeed. Um, but yeah, uh, those are mine, but, uh, we're going to see if we can't uh, maybe sneak max on for like a, uh, a, you know, bonus segment that we'll, uh, append or have in the off week where he can talk about, uh, his trials and tribulations there. Um, any, any, uh, I, I would I would add to your your comment about uh, good matchups for the uh, banshees being that aggro thing. It's felt terrible to charge at them with uh, with reavers. Uh, you, it's it's really coming down to some pretty early dice rolls. Like I'm I'm flying in with um, with Saik and I gave him an extra two dice. I hope you know four smash versus two dodge is enough to do it because if it's not, uh, this game's going to go south in a hurry. Any thoughts from you, Phil, on matchups? Not a ton. Um, I, I agree with everything that's been said so far. Um, I did feel okay going into them with Magors, but I think that was partially because um, Magors are also pretty survivable, just through sheer wounds, if nothing else. Sure. Um, and and they they also like to just sort of be up in people's faces. So there was sort of this just back and forth of dice rolls as far as I can remember from that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe they can still match up okay as long as they have some some way to engineer some extra dice and some ways to get through dodge. Yeah. Um, I, that might, might be one that determines is determined a lot by uh, board positioning, right? Like, Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, if, mm-hmm. if, you've, if you're a long diagonal um, and they choose to just sort of stay away from you magors are going to have a bad day for sure because there's just not enough extra movement in the cards to get you there Mm -hmm. um 
I do wonder uh, how a standoffish curse breakers would do. Um, I think I think there's some. It'd be an interesting race of like who can rack up more glory faster. So it, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I got to play that specific matchup. Um, it was not, it was maybe not a full standoff uh, curse breakers, but um, crucially they can carry a, a fair amount so they can get some passive glory by casting spells. Uh, and then they can uh, dig into your, into your um, wounds by using things like, uh, sphere of Akshi and um, Seged Salvo. So they can do some of this without having to try and uh, burn through your dodge, um, that two dodge. And that's that's where they make that uh, a little a little more challenging of a matchup. So I wanted to just kind of close this out with having I played against them a fair amount. Uh, what, uh, what I thought were some general tips for counterplay. And these are pretty, pretty basic. I don't think they get you too far, but they're just some some sort of rules of thumb I use uh, when I am playing against them. And one is uh, when selecting boards, I try to pick a board that has no blocked hexes. Um, and uh, unless I'm running calculated risk, also no lethal hexes. Just try and pick one of some of those wide open boards. So Abandoned Lair or Mirror Well are uh, good selections there because it uh, obviously the lethals are a problem only for me. Yep. Uh, and the blocked hexes, if you take that, that makes... Uh, uh, besides just general play, um, them being able to play around it, that the one objective, which is the, uh, help me out. What was that one called? Nexus uh, of terror. No, I'm thinking of, uh, hunger, inescapable oh, hunger. Yeah. Uh, keeping them from, uh, zipping through that, um, makes that a little bit harder. Um, if you have the option, uh, to destroy objectives, uh, one will needs an even and an odd. There are only two even. There are three odd. You can make it harder by destroying uh, an even numbered hex. That means they only have one objective left. Uh, an even numbered objective. That means there's only one left that they could uh, could use. So uh, destroy them or stand on the even ones. They may disrupt you off of them, but they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to burn energy to do that. Um, as far as nexus on nexus of terror, that's a that's a real handy one that they uh, will use. And so for me, like if I've got nothing to do, I'll stand somebody on a hex uh, just to just to make it uh, that little bit harder. Um, so start standing on your own hexes. Of course, if you're playing cam, that means you're just setting yourself up for a, um, a shifting reflection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then my last tip was. Uh, if you have the opportunity in the third round, go first, unless there's some overriding reason not to, uh, because what that does is it has you score your objectives first. Uh, and when you score your objectives oh, first, yeah. then when mm-hmm. you compare for Dominion of Death, uh, you might have just uh, tied it up or, or pulled in the lead as far as quantity of objectives, and you have a chance, a uh, better chance of denying that. So uh, keep that in mind when you're making your decision in the third round. Um, and it probably goes without saying you probably want to forego placing an extra lethal, uh, hex token. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that's, that holds true for both ghosts. Don't, you don't gain anything by doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, special edge. You got anything else you'd put into counterplay? I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you, uh, do anything here, Cam. You don't have to, uh, sacrifice yourself for this, but, uh, Phil, you got any counterplay? Um, it's not really specific to this matchup, but something that I've been 
finding a lot of success with lately when I'm playing as an aggro uh, warband is take sitting target. Mm. It, in the current meta with so many dodge, it is a huge, huge game changer when you can just at will gain an extra dice and completely ignore your opponent's dodges. Um, and actually, I guess it even goes well into matchups where your opponent doesn't use dodge because so many people are going on guard right now. Sure. Um, and the dice, mm-hmm. the extra dice doesn't hurt uh, anyway. So, yeah. So even if even if you have no reason to need ensnare, plus one dice is still solid on a um, on a ploy. So um, I found tons of mileage with that card, and I think it's not it's not going to lose any value anytime soon given the state of the meta okay uh good stuff let's uh we have one miscellaneous question i want to hit it's from matthew martin and uh he wants to know who's spookier mourn flight or thorns cam as the uh as the expert in both what's your take mourn flight hands down (laughs) all right okay i agree uh the the thorns are just you know uh maybe maybe cute that guy carrying his head you know the (laughs) <laughs> the one with the goofy metal on his head. Anyway, uh, well, that's uh, going to do. Actually, speaking of Matt Martin, uh, we are shouting out they have their first uh, big event down there. They got a grand skirmish. They call it the Grand Scuffle. It's going to be at Gigabytes Cafe, and it is uh, April 4th of this year. Uh, you should go down. There are a bunch of awesome guys. Jeff Osborne can attest uh Actually, what uh, I think his direct quote was that there are a bunch of scrubs who his friend was able to beat after uh, playing a deck that he hadn't practiced <laughs> with. I, I, that was the yeah. gist of it, right? That's, that sounds like the Canadian, I, I think, Canadian I think message. That's pretty much what I picked up. All right. Uh, so go there for uh, Easy Big Glass. Um, no, nah, not really. They, those guys are awesome, and uh, they'll talk about it on their their cast. Uh, but uh, looking forward to uh, them getting their big event. It sounds like they got a cool community down there. And um, who knows? Maybe Zach Newcomb can blow them all up with uh, chosen axes. So, and that does it. By the time this goes out, we'll have had uh, our own event. And then, uh, 15 February, we're going to be down in the Rockford area uh, for Cataclysm Games is having a tournament down there. It looks like. So, I think uh, I'm tentatively looking to make the journey down there and uh, throw down with those guys. That'll be fun. Um, and- cool. Uh, can I get a quick Please shout do. here? Uh, so next week is Las Vegas Open. I'll be going down for 40K. Um, if I don't make the top eight on Sunday, uh, which I mean, we have a thousand players, the high chance of me not There's making a it. a thousand players? Uh, for 40K, what? yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's insane. Um, but if you hear me, feel free to come say hi. I'll probably be playing 40K. Um, and I, if I'm free on Sunday, I might actually jump into the Grand Clash that's going yeah, on there too. Yeah, awesome. I did not do the math, but yeah, I we we wish you well, and we'll uh, we'll claim you for what the hex if uh, if you uh, absolutely. I'll have you. <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs> uh, but only if you win. I no. <laughs> who are we kidding? If he gets like top half, we'll be <laughs> yeah uh, yeah. Um, all right, so you can get in touch with us at wthcast or whatthehexcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can always check out our content on. Uh, themortalrealms.com. That's where we've got the story phase, which is a narrative uh, podcast about the uh, background of Age of Sigmar. We've got uh, Dogs of War Cry, which is all about War Cry. Uh, they've started their second season. You should go check it out. Um, 
and uh we just uh love anytime you get a chance to interact with uh with us like like hearing from you i appreciate that uh i should say uh should have said at the top probably uh if you were expecting this to be zarbags gets episode uh that's understandable because that's what we thought we were doing but uh, we had some recording difficulties there and we're going to be coming right back with that though we're, we're not uh we're not leaving that in the dust um we've got a we've got a good one lined up and that'll be coming along the line uh, your recommended listening for this episode is going to be Time of the Preacher by Willie Nelson and uh, A Ghost to Most by Drive-By Truckers. Uh, for What the Hecks, I've been Davey. This is Phil. And I'm Cameron. got there eventually um oh boy yeah i can't wait lost all the gold already